Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. I'm Rachel, Program Director at Strong Towns. Today's guest is an expert in something called universal design. She'll define it for you further, but essentially it's an approach to building spaces in a way that can work for everyone, whether they use a wheelchair, are blind or deaf, or have other different abilities. After an accident several decades ago, Rosemarie Rossetti began using a wheelchair, and she and her husband quickly realized that the home they currently lived in was no longer going to accommodate her needs. After searching for a more accessible place to live and coming up short, they decided to build their own universally designed home and use it as what they call a living laboratory to show others what's possible in home design. Whether you live with a disability or not, know that many of your neighbors and fellow residents do. And as all of us age, it's not unlikely that we may one day desire homes that accommodate mobility challenges or other needs. What would it mean to be able to stay in our current houses or apartments rather than having to move to a facility one day? This is the promise of universal design, among so many other things, and it also doesn't have to cost a lot to implement. Rosemary Rossetti is a speaker, author, and leader in this field. I hope you enjoy this conversation about universal design. Rosemarie Rossetti, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be doing the work that you do today in universal design? Well, I'm speaking to you today from my wheelchair in Columbus, Ohio. I had an accident on June 13th, 1998, and as a result of an accident being hit by a 7,000-pound tree while riding my bicycle. I was crushed and had a spinal cord injury, instantly paralyzed from the waist down. So it was very life-changing, career-changing. I'm lucky to be alive. Uh, From that moment on, I had to think about the recovery, the resilience, and the change that was needed. And one of those major changes was my home. And that home, of course, was not set up to be accessible for wheelchair use. So that was the uh, frustration and the difficulty that I was experiencing to say, we've got to move out of here. If this injury doesn't get any better, I'm going to be in this wheelchair for a long, long time. And so how did you begin to you know, find a home or create a home that was going to work better for you? That was a long journey. It was um, an idea that Mark and I had to find a home that might be on the market to just trade the home that we were living in for another existing home that was accessible. As we looked at the real estate market in Columbus, we could not find anything within um, our parameters of the design as well as the location. So we sought out to hire an architect And in 2004, began the journey of creating a new home that would be a national demonstration home and garden so we could showcase it to other people. There's this concept of universal design, which I know your home is a a laboratory for this. What does universal design mean? Well, think of it as a framework. It's looking at accessibility. It's looking at usability. It's looking at design of the space, not only homes, but workplaces 
that would be accommodating for people of all ages and all abilities, regardless. So it's good design looking at incorporating features um, beyond what the basic compliance is with the Americans with Disabilities Act, where we look at the ADA as kind of the baseline, the beginning, and the foundation of universal design starts with accessibility, but then goes way beyond anything in the in terms of compliance. And another important component is the Americans with Disabilities Act was written for public spaces, not for individuals' homes. So we're borrowing some of their good ideas in our homes and expanding upon them. And that's how the Universal Design Living Laboratory came to be, by not following just ADA as the basis, but then looking at certifications in the area of universal design, of which we are certified as the top-rated universal design home in North America, earning three universal design certifications. What are some of the things like the the hallmarks or things that someone would notice in a universal design space? Um, obviously, like room to move a wheelchair around. That makes sense. What are other things that, that make these spaces uh, stand out? Well, let's look at the basics in terms of how to get into the home. We don't always have to have ugly ramps. Um, we can just build it to grade like the commercial spaces. So there are a lot of other ways to build homes so that the entrances are easy to navigate from the garage or the parking area. Why do we have to have steps coming into the house from a garage? There are other solutions of which we demonstrate. We also look at the width of the doors. We have 36-inch doors throughout the house. And of course, you mentioned the idea of space. We need at least a five-foot turning area so that someone who's in a wheelchair has that space to do a 360-degree turn. And in some cases, we may need six feet if it's a larger manual wheelchair or a power wheelchair or a scooter, depending on the resident. So those are things you're going to look for. You're going to see a lot of different counter heights in the kitchen and the bathroom, as well as knee space. And a lot of safety features, looking at grab bars strategically positioned by the toileting area, the bathing area, the showering area as well as large showers with no curb, just something to roll right into and have a seat to transfer to. I know that you you, you have this um, living laboratory, and then you also help people think through like how they might build spaces that are following the universal design principles. What does that process look like if someone is, is thinking about building or conf- reconfiguring an existing home? to meet those, those needs? Well, together with my husband, Mark Later, we consult with the consumer, we consult with the designer, the developer, the architect, the builder, the remodeler. Um, we can meet in our home so that they can see these features and take some measurements themselves. We can also do this virtually on lots of virtual platforms or phone calls. The plans can be given to us electronically. Um, they could be printed off and shipped to us in the, in the uh, mail. So there's a lot of ways we can work. We've got clients all over the country. 
Um, we can also travel now and go to seeing some of these models and visit with the designers, the owners, um, the builders to see what is it that they'd like us to improve upon and work with them on their modification. It can be a very simple project. My last one was designing a closet for a 16-year-old who had just had a ski accident and is now in a wheelchair. Or it could be a million-dollar home that's on the coast in California where the woman bought this new home and is now renovating it totally because of her needs as a wheelchair user. So we get apartment complexes, condos, luxury custom homes, um, I've also worked with Habitat for Humanity. Yeah, that's interesting to hear about the range of projects. I was definitely going to ask, you know, is this something that is only accessible to someone who's, you know, building a custom home from the ground up? Or it seems like these principles are things that you could apply not only if you have, you know, a, a huge budget. Yes, absolutely. The minimal budget for this closet was uh, very affordable for that family. They were so pleased, they asked me to help them with the design of the bedroom for this uh, 16-year-old to make it very um, teen-appropriate for her and uh, very affordable for the family. They had 11 children. Um, She was one of 11, so they didn't have a big budget to work with. But we wanted this 16-year-old to have as much independence um, and accessibility as possible. So you created this home that you and your husband live in um, and then decided to have it be this living laboratory. I mean, what is that like? Do you offer tours or do people just like come knocking on your door wanting to like walk around? How, how does that work to live in a space, but also have it be a demonstration project? Yeah, it's kind of uh, weird in the beginning when we started tours to the public in 2014 Um, That's when we finally finished the landscape as well as the lower level that has a classroom. Now, of course, during COVID, we asked that no one come here during tours, and we're just starting to accept some small groups to come in. So they're by appointment only. Um, As of today, we've had 3,300 people physically in our home for tours. So it's been an amazing journey. We also have a virtual tour for anyone who's listening. Please, you want to see our home, go to our virtual tour, and it's very easy. On any computer device, our website is just four letters, udll.com, udll.com, the Universal Design Living Laboratory. Google did a virtual tour with over 700 photos that's on our website you can even play a little game. Our little uh, orange tabby cat was the photo bomber during the photo shoot. So you'll see our cat in many of the rooms throughout the tour. There's also a wonderful video tour on our website. Lots of articles, over 100 articles. And all of our contributors, there's over 200 companies that partnered with us. So there's a lot to learn. Um, there's also a free chapter of my book, the Universal Design Toolkit, which is a listing of the universal design features in our home, room by room. So go ahead and download that and print it out or take a look at it and do um, the virtual tour with that free chapter in front of you. And you'll be able to then pick out the features 
in our home that make it so safe and accessible and convenient, giving you peace of mind and uh, a wonderful idea about thriving in place, especially as we age. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I feel like I hear more and more about this concept of aging in place and people thinking about wanting to stay in their home potentially, you know, for the for the rest of their life versus having to one day move into like a, a senior home or an assisted living. Are you hearing more of those conversations? And do you think there's a growth in interest in universal design because of that? Absolutely. You're right on target with that. Um, Rachel, we're getting more and more inquiries about um, the communities that are being built so that these new communities that are affordable are also accessible. We've got to do a better job so that people um, have options and find these places. They can be communities exclusive for seniors, or they could be an integration, which includes young families as well as an older family for support systems. Who wouldn't want a house like this? It's not just for old people. You know, that's the comment we get from people who are here going, oh my gosh, you know, the young first married couple or the the family that is mid-career, they're all looking at this house saying, I want these features. Who wouldn't? Yeah. And I'll also point out, you know, your home doesn't look like a facility or something. It, it looks, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Um, it like blends in with the neighborhood and all that. There's an aesthetic nature to this too. I think that is, um, that would be appealing to people as well. Well, thank you for your comment. And we attribute the architect, Patrick Manley, when we asked him about the, the design saying it's going to be a national model. It's got to look like something um, that Architectural Digest would like to feature. And in fact, they did. So when we pitched the house to them, they actually did pick up on it um, because it is such a beautiful home. It's reminiscent of the prairie-style architecture with a clear story and the portico um, taking off from the Frank Lloyd Wright inspiration and then the arts and crafts motif throughout. Yeah, that was I was seeing that Frank Lloyd Wright inspiration as well. Very cool. So from the beginning, you had the thought that this was going to be a laboratory. Um, did you go through a process where you were trying out other homes and realizing like, okay, this is not going to work for us. We really just need to make something from the ground up. Like how did, how did it become this laboratory space? Well, originally it was going just to be Mark and, and my space. And that's when we hired the architect in 2004. But here's where the big transition came. In January of 2005, my husband and I went to the National Association of Home Builders International Builders Show, and we started looking around for ideas for this new home. And that's when the first contributor approached us and said, would you like to have a whole house generator for your new home? And it's like, yeah, we hadn't thought of that. We should be putting in a gas generator. And um, that same week, we went to our mastermind meeting, which is a group of eight fellow professional speakers and consultants. 
and they gave us the idea. Mark and Rosemary, why don't you build this as a national model and also get it certified green and universal design and build your speaking and consulting and writing business around this and go get more sponsors and contributors. And this was an amazing, big, hairy, audacious idea in January of 05. I mean, we were just at that point, just astounded. Um, and then that developed into buying the lot in 2006, having the groundbreaking in 2009, and 32 months later, finally in May of 2012, moving in. Believe it or not, we were the general contractors. We had never built a house before, and we will never build another one again. <laughs> But like really thoughtful um, that you're sharing the knowledge that you gained along the way. I think that's a really interesting approach um, to saying like, okay, you know, we're not going to go become home builders, but we are going to like help other people do this uh, in the future for themselves. I know that your focus is universal design, uh, like within homes or or other spaces, interior spaces. Um, But do you have... Uh, thoughts or experiences on how, you know, exterior spaces, sidewalks and public transit and um, public places can also be um, incorporating these principles and uh, becoming more accessible? Absolutely. I'm uh, approaching whole cities on that concept, as well as large global corporations. It's on a, a very big global scale to help corporations to make sure their workplaces are inclusive, not only the interior, but the exterior, looking at the landscape. Um, I have a degree from Ohio State University, a dual major in horticulture and agriculture education, and uh, came from the horticultural industry for eight years. Um, In fact, I wrote a book, The Healthy Indoor Plant. I think it's humorously ironic that the author of the book, The Healthy Indoor Plant, gets hit by a tree and paralyzed. I mean, what other horticulturist knows the botanical name of the tree that hit her? The Tilia Americana, American Linden. So um, we were working with another um, group of people that are on the Global Universal Design Commission Board of Directors with me. And together I have two partners and we're working with some major corporations to explore their design of their corporate spaces, both the exterior and interior. Um, I'm also in conversation with the city of Columbus, where I live, to talk to the business leaders and the business owners about accessibility in Columbus, to forecast a change in Columbus, to forecast a marketing campaign about accessibility in Columbus and to prove where Columbus needs some help and prove where Columbus has excelled. Very cool. So you mentioned the the book that you've written, the Universal Design Toolkit. Where can people find that and what would they what would they learn from that? The Universal Design Toolkit.com. How easy is that? The PDF of the book, it's 212 pages, full color. It is available uh, right now to download. It comes with 16 videos, which are wonderful resources online to have 
replays of other videos that I've done in terms of educational programming and tours of the home. So that's an entire package, universaldesigntoolkit.com. If you would also like to have the printed copy, not just the PDF, which you can look at on any electronic device, just go to Amazon. I mean, that's the bookstore of choice. They'll send it to you right away. Um, Just type in Universal Design Toolkit, Rosemarie Rossetti, and you can order that today and they'll ship it out immediately. So that's an easy way to get the book. What's in it? It's for consumers. It's for professional builders, for interior designers. It is a um, compendium of what Mark and I learned as well as our detail in what we did to create these universal design features. There's also a special chapter on finding funding. Uh, There's a lot of people that are possibly entitled to some grant money. There's a lot of foundations out there that would give money for these modifications. So there's a whole chapter on finding funding to make your home more accessible, modifications. There's lots of resources and there's questions. If you're going to be hiring a professional, what questions should you be asking? So it's a very comprehensive book. Of course, I'm biased in that I'm the author. So feel free to check out universaldesigntoolkit.com and see if it's a good fit for you. Yeah, thank you. I'll make sure to include links to um, your website and all the resources that you've mentioned To close this out today, what advice would you give for someone that's listening who's interested in thinking about implementing universal design, either, you know, in their own home or in the home of a relative or friend? Um, Maybe they're even thinking about aging in place or their future. Like what's a first step for someone who's, who's starting to think about this type of design? Well, take a look at the entry of the home, to what extent there's a, um, a wide enough doorway to get into the home as well as into the bathroom, into the bedroom. A lot of people realize it's going to be pretty expensive to tear out a whole doorway. So there's another solution that's very inexpensive, and that's buying some hinges at the hardware store. They're called swing-away hinges, and it's very easy to install them. You take the hinges off your existing door, and you put on these new hinges And that door then swings back, giving you from two to five more inches of clear space so that possibly this is the solution for a very, very inexpensive. Another is looking at the the height of that little threshold at the door. We'd like it to be no more than a like a quarter inch or maybe a half inch. If it's taller than that, you can go online and just type in door threshold ramp, and they're very inexpensive. You just have them shipped to you, and you put these little rubber mats, these little ramps over the existing door threshold, and that makes for a smoother transition for somebody who's using a walker or somebody who's using a wheelchair, and it also keeps somebody from tripping as they're walking through that threshold. So those are some easy things. And of course, keeping safety in mind, what's keeping you from installing grab bars? Put them in now. Why wait for a fall? Um, Looking at installing them properly so that they have the right hardware and they're firm. 
And you might as well go at it with towel bars at the same time. There are towel bars that are designed to hold someone that might grab them as they're falling. So replace existing towel bars and put in some new grab bars. Those are some simple, inexpensive solutions. Rosemary Rossetti, thank you so much for sharing your story and your your insights on universal design. Um, Really appreciate the opportunity to have you on the show. Well, thank you. And I'd like to encourage your viewers and listeners to go to rosemariespeaks.com and look at some of the videos there, especially my TEDx. I think you'd enjoy watching that rosemariespeaks.com. To connect with me, it's just rosemarie at rosemariespeaks.com. Be happy to have a discovery call with any of you. Thank you so much. All right. A couple announcements from us at Strong Towns. First is that our current Strongest Town contest is happening right now. If you are listening to this on the day of publication, March 17th, you have probably still a few more hours to vote in this current Elite Eight round of the contest. And then there will be a couple more rounds um, in the coming weeks as well. So head to our website. You can go right to the strongtowns.org slash strongest town page to find all the current matchups and voting. This is a really fun contest, and it's also a great way to see what other cities are doing all over the country to try to be stronger. Um, Not all of them are perfect, of course. Uh, In fact, none of them are perfect, but they're all doing small things to try to get better, try to be more financially resilient. So check out that contest and put your vote in. Also, little tip, if you are a Strong Towns member, you're going to get emailed a special voting form on each Monday of the contest weeks. Use that form to vote, and then your votes are going to be weighted. Um, we weight the member votes uh, especially so that we make sure we're you know, fully accommodating and considering our members' perspective as it should be. Another brief announcement, again, if you're listening to this on our publication day, March 17th, or, you know, a few days after, we are going to be at the Congress for the New Urbanism in Oklahoma City. That is taking place approximately March 22nd through 25th. Um, And the whole Strong Town staff, or almost all of us, are going to be present, hanging out. Um, We're going to be doing plenty of our own meetings, so not attending every session or anything. But we'll be in the area, and we're probably going to put together a little member meetup. So if you're also going to be attending or you just live in the Oklahoma City area, send me a little email, and I'll, I'll let you know if we set something up and we can all uh, say hi to one another. My email is rachel at strongtowns.org. Finally, thank you to our Strong Towns members. You guys are fantastic. Uh, I've gotten to meet a lot of you recently. We just had a member uh, annual meeting where we were sharing some exciting upcoming announcements and uh, reviewing our annual report from last year. So it was great to see a lot of you there. And uh, thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to join this fantastic group of people who care about this movement and want to be part of helping it grow across America, head to strongtowns.org slash membership to join today. Thank you. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week for the next episode. Um, It's an awesome success story about somebody who defeated a really horrible highway project. So I know you're going to be inspired by that one. Come back here next week for the next episode. Take care, everybody. 